Hey, Andy Phillips here. And I'm Tom Hackett. You may remember us from that time when we used to try really hard to make plays on fourth down. Well, we're back at it with a brand new show called Special Forces Gang, where we give you new perspective on what it takes to be a football player. We talk all things Utah football, sports, and life. Don't miss Special Forces Gang. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or on kslsports.com. Go Utes! Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership. I'm Jess Larson. Today on the show, we've got Tom Shea. That it becomes chaotic. How do I deal with a million things? Well, you can't. But people go out throughout their day looking at their day as a million items to handle. And how you you have to, well, one is you have to, I think it's effective to use that distinction as in chaos. Also, I want to talk to you about one of our show's sponsors. I met these guys back on episode six. CEO Zach Smith was telling me all about starting a skateboard company and how much he hated doing the bookkeeping uh, for a skateboard shop and how he really uh, got led to start this business, Bookly, that's a hybrid combining bookkeeping software and human services. And I'll tell you why I let him become a sponsor. It's because I use their service now. I don't love paying 50 bucks an hour for bookkeepers to do stuff that I know software could do way, way cheaper, but uh, I don't love bookkeeping at all. So I want a real live human who knows what they're talking about to help me with the stuff I don't understand. Uh, Probably the straw that broke the camel's back for me though, the thing that put me over the top was that they could do my taxes and payroll also. Um, So totally suggest checking them out. Go to their website, bookly.co and check out their flat rates. I've been super happy with them. So now on to today's episode. He's the founder of Adamant. Uh, I'm going to say it wrong. Tom, how do I say the name of your company? Adamantine Alliance. Okay, tell us tell us about the alliance. Well, uh, I I know several things to be true, and then the first thing to be true is that people are the center of uh, most success in business. And so what we have founded is a a collective of SEALs that we go and we consult with executives and teach executives how to hone in on the people of their organization. Yeah, so I imagine you have a lot of thoughts on that after 23 years um, in the Navy there. Uh, What's an example of one of the ones that, that comes to mind right off the bat? Uh, well, it, I think it's a funny story, and the the one that is we're currently working on a project, and the project is to kind of rapidly turn around, you know, kind of like a private equity thing without the massive private equity put into it. It's to turn around a company that is bleeding into a profitable company, and what we do is we look at the people of the organization holistically what's going on with the people that we know pretty well how to increase people's productivity and we're about six months into it and we've already turned it around and we'll 
people is, I mean, it's a broad term, and I'm sorry that I use the word people, but you know, I have to start somewhere. I, I, I see people in the, everybody has five areas of their life. And the first area is their health, like their physical health. And the second area is their ability to learn. Their third area is their ability to pursue what they value or business. And the fourth area is their relationships that matter to them, like the ones at home. And their spiritual, and the fifth one is their spiritual development. So I look at those five areas, and we attack those areas. And so we teach clients and their company how to attack those areas in order to turn the business around. I don't mean to be vague, but that's the, our starting yeah. point. So, so um, give us an example of, you know, what, what are industries that some of your clients have come from? Oh, wow. It's, it's such a broad spectrum from dental practices to insurance houses, to financial houses, to uh, the, you know, Gosh, everywhere. So, so in to small manufacturing, to privately owned companies, to venture capitals, to everything. Yeah. So let's talk about venture capital for a minute. What, mm -hmm. What's an example? I mean, without naming names, what, what's mm -hmm. a story or what's an example of, of a situation where maybe somebody had some blind spots or somebody just wasn't seeing an opportunity for themselves? Or what, what, what's a venture capital story if you've got one? Oh. Man, you're, you're going to catch me on this one. So th th this is my opinion. And uh, I'll start out with an, uh, my had been my opinion of venture capital is venture capital is centered on finance or money, which obviously you have to go in and, you know, you, you invest in a company theoretically that can grow with capital. So it's a capital investment idea. The problem that I see is that in, as in all companies and all people, is the process processes of you know recovering finances and having better internal processes, I think is the easy solution. But the people I see are the bigger solution. And what I mean by that is simple. The quickest way for a company to fail is that the physical health of the employees is not captured. And in VC, here's what we saw, is the amount of hours the top people in the venture capital firm, not the company that they're investing in, but the firm itself, they spend a lot of their time during the day simply pursuing the third aspect or the third pyramid, I call it, of wealth. So they wake up very early. Rather than take care of themselves, they immediately get to work. And then, you know, they're eating what they eat. And they, you know, it's a lot of time drinking, which I get it. But and then they go to bed at around 11, having not taken care of themselves all day. And I didn't think it would be important, but what I saw is that there's not a lot available to those people except work. And you can only produce so much, you know, work during the day. And they're drained and they're not available to uh, a lot of things that you become available to if you're healthy. 
So what we went and did immediately in these VC, you know, I don't call them turnarounds, but these VC discovery efforts was to get the people in the venture capital unit or group to initially take care of themselves physically. And what we saw is that their productivity and their ability to make good decisions and right decisions with their capital had a measured outcome in about two months just by taking care of their health. And I wish I, I, I would go into detail, but you asked yeah, yeah. No, what I saw. Yeah. It is interesting how it seems so simple, and but how often the simple things are what keep us back, right? It's like mm -hmm. knowing what to do isn't the problem, getting ourselves to actually do it. Seems to be a problem for a lot more of us. I, I, that is the, uh, that's the funniest thing. I've brought on several other SEALs to work with me, and we kept thinking that we're going to get into the big game, like there's some advanced game that we can finally get into. And I kept reminding them, I'm like, hey, it's always the basics. You're never going to get past first base. It's always the simple basic stuff that people are missing that make the biggest difference. Well, and – can you, give yeah, us, go ahead. can you give us an example of that uh, from the teams? I mean, obviously, uh, there's a lot of folks who, um, even if they do make it in the teams, they don't stay for 23 years. Can, mm -hmm. can you talk about an example from that background? Well, yeah, I, I actually took the, these the, the five pyramids fundamentally from the, my experience of the teams, and the first one being physical. So the example in the teams is to effectively do the work of a SEAL – you have to be not only capable physically, you have to be on top of more than capable physically. And they mandate that you do it every single day and on the weekends. That you demonstrate every single day that you're capable of doing not only the basic physical tasks that you have to do as a SEAL, but you have to do it better than everybody else. And that sends it creates a profound environment in a in a unit that has at its foundation the health of everybody there that everybody there has the ability because with health you have the ability to endure pretty much anything not only physically but mentally and then you know in business you can last longer even in a meeting when you're energized health if your health is there and I, I kind of laugh because several of my clients are not initially healthy, meaning overweight, on high blood or have high blood pressure, and are dealing with that constantly. And once we turn that around for them, ninety percent of the clients do better work. I'm like, well, that's an easy solution, but I, it doesn't seem like a lot of people are. Consultants are trying to attack that, and I just know that if you don't take care of yourself, care of the health of your client, your longevity diminishes. Isn't it funny though how we want the answer to be something like a big game answer, this some complicated, crazy thing, you know, not be healthy, <laughs> you know, like, you know, it would be. It's almost like if the answer was like this. Uh, wild thing that was you know took a phd to understand fully it would almost be like more attractive to people right but if it's if it's something that i already know i should do 
it feels like, I already know that. How could that be the answer? Uh, but you think about the impact of just willpower, right? You look at the, the level of willpower people have dependent on their emotional, like their emotional impact uh, on willpower and then the physical aspects of emotions. I mean, everybody knows that you, you have less emotional intelligence when you're, when you're hungry, when you're tired, when you don't feel well, when you're out of gas, you know? And just like you're saying, you know, have, having patience in a meeting to get to the end, to the good part. Yep, and like, yep. you know, I, I heard this quote, uh, patience, patience isn't just waiting, it's waiting with a good attitude, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you asked earlier that I give you some examples of how we flesh that out and show people the value of that. And we've come up with an interesting method and to date, there's been close to a thousand people try to go through this first part of the training that we give everybody. And out of the thousand or so people, less than 10% have been able to accomplish this, which to me, I, I didn't intend it that way. I wanted, I just wanted to show people the value of it, but the, the consequence of this has been interesting. So I, 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 here's what it is. So it's a 21 day period of homework. And the reason why it's 21 days is because here's the deal. It takes 21 days to learn something new. Actually it takes longer, but you have to do something repetitively for 21 days. And so what we do regarding people's health is for 21 days, right when you wake up, you're going to do something basic. And right before you go to bed, you're going to do something basic. And it's 10 push-ups, 10 sit-ups, and 10 squats. And people don't do it. And what they find out about themselves is, has been tremendous for us as an organization and as a consultant to find these solutions out. And what we have found out is not that people aren't healthy – it's they don't regard themselves enough to what I call, I call the experience, honor your word for 21 days, make a promise and keep it, and then start overcoming your health issues for 21 days. And people don't. People talk themselves out of all this great stuff that they have in mind on day seven. <laughs> Greatest, hey, we're going to make a million dollars. We're going to do all this stuff. It's really exciting for the first, you know, you know, three or seven days. And then the reality of their life sets in. They lose interest. They have pain in their shoulder or they forget or whatever. And then all that greatness diminishes. And if you're going to be healthy, it's a, it's a health is kind of a lifestyle. And you use the word willpower. On day seven, you have to overcome your issues with willpower. You have to say, hey, it hurts. I'm tired. I don't know why I'm doing this anymore, but I promise to do it. And what we found in organizations is the, one of the key factors, you probably saw this in the PE world, uh, the, what we see is that organizationally, if they cannot sustain a promise, so they have a board meeting on May the 1st, if they can't sustain it, by May 21st, 
there's an organizational problem. It's not a process problem, but the organizational problem is they don't honor their word. They let all the environmental factors get in their way and they don't honor their word. We kind of went away from health, but in that 21 day assignment, we unravel an organization very quickly. You know, it's interesting. We, we covered a number of subjects there. Um, and I, I guess one of the things I'm interested in is, you know, on your website, um, going through and, and seeing the different things you help people with, you talk about this idea of, of leaders, leadership and leaders thriving and chaos. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, self-mastery has obviously got to be an element of that. Can, can you talk about this idea of not being, you know, not letting chaos ruin us, but, but thriving in chaos? Uh, here, I'll, I'll have to define chaos, and I think it's probably effective to, to do it that way. Otherwise, everybody listening has their own distinction of chaos, whether mine's correct or not, but this is how I'm working on the conversation of chaos. Chaos is a million things all hitting you at the same time. And kind of that's what everybody's environment is is there's so many different things hitting them that seem to be important that it becomes chaotic. How do I deal with a million things? Well, you can't. But people go out throughout their day looking at their day as a million items to handle. And how you you have to, well, one is you have to, I think it's effective to use that distinction as in chaos. And how you overcome chaotic environments is to find one thing and the greatest way to tell that story is if if you've hunted before if you haven't I'll, I'll try to describe you go on a quail hunt quails usually they bundle together in what they call as a covey so there could be 20 birds the problem with that is they all want to launch at the same time so you're walking through the field and all of a sudden 20 birds fly up at the same time. People who can't deal with that look at the whole 20 bird covey and shoot at all 20. So they aim at this big disparate 20 and they hit nothing. So the veteran hunter always goes, okay, when the covey gets kicked up, I just have to pick one bird and focus on the one, do what I'm supposed to do only on the one bird. So if you look at chaotic environments and leading in chaotic environments or thriving in chaotic environments, the key to all that is that to decrease the noise, you have to find one simple thing that you can execute on. Come to find out people don't do that. They have a hundred, they have a million priorities that you can't have more than one priority. You can't. Yeah. Kind of like, one domino at a time kind of thing? Yeah, just do one simple thing. Like uh, you, you have to make 20 phone You have to make one phone call. Yeah. And then that when that's done, you have one more to make. Well, and then, yeah, so, go ahead. So this is interesting to me. And, you know, I know we've only got a couple of minutes left on, on this uh, first half of the interview here. Um, can you think of someone that you feel like set a good example of that downrange for you? Some Somebody that whether it was a team member or, or one of your leaders that you feel like set an example for you downrange? Uh, several. And uh, my first platoon chief, a guy named Roy Maddox at Team 2, 
was extremely good at it. And how he represented that to me was do the next two minutes and don't worry about the next three hours. Just keep making it kind of to the next, you know, ridgeline, the next tree, the next trail intersection, the next shot. Yeah, he said only work in two minute intervals. I'm like, well, I can do that. He goes, no matter how you feel, I guarantee you can deal with something for two minutes. You can hold your breath for two minutes. Yeah. Very difficult to hold it for an hour. Like it can't, but you can hold it for two minutes. And uh, as a young SEAL, I'm like, I get it. I get it. And then I applied it. And then when I became a platoon chief, we got overwhelmed quite often. But I'd already taught the guys, all you do is one simple thing. Just do one simple thing to get to the next two or three steps. When you get there, find out the next two or three steps that you can do, even if it's one. And you know, we were outgunned, outnumbered, yeah. overrun can every single time. A, yeah. Can you think of a, a time of like, hey, we were we were in Afghanistan, we were way off in the boonies, and I remember this one time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I ended up getting the silver star for this one. We inserted four miles from the target deep in the mountains of central Afghanistan. And immediately we came under fire. And to us, it wasn't a big deal because all we we're going to do is simple tactics, not advanced, you know, crazy stuff that everybody thinks SEALs do. And we were so mature at that point, we didn't, didn't, didn't even return fire. We were getting hit by RPGs. We just calmly got out of that area and uh, made our way through the next couple ridge lines. And we hit our main target. And throughout the day, from the time we inserted until uh, probably 18 hours later, we had killed around 60 Taliban. By just dealing with one simple thing at a time, which culminates in this conversation. So we are going to uh, – an hour before dark, we had gotten word that we are going to be extracted. And, and the problem with military tactics is once they tell you you're done, you kind of drop your guard. And so for about an hour, we had we were prepping to leave and people weren't paying attention. And I found myself without my body armor sitting my back up against the wall and I look up on this hilltop and tracer rounds were coming. And this firefight lasted around 45 minutes and we got, they got the drop on us and we got overwhelmed. I got blown up into, into one of these rooms and fought my way out of there, found the rest of my platoon. And the only thing I was interested in is making it the next five minutes. And because I thought that I was the only one left, and I'm like, I'm not going to be the lone survivor. So I just I did simple, simple things. Find one guy to shoot, shoot him. Find the next one to shoot. Okay, I'm tired. Stop for a second, drink water, and keep processing the simple things that I knew I had to do. And instead of being overwhelmed with oh my God, they're all going to kill us. We ended up, we found out there were 65 of them to nine of us. And uh, we ended up getting them all by just doing one simple thing at a time. And did you, did you lose anybody on that one? 
No, we none of us got hit, and none, none of us lost anything, which was, I, you know, it's when you have to realize there's probably some organizational deity that you either get in close contact with or you you get on the other side of. But uh, I can't figure out how we all survived it, mm-hmm. except by doing simple things. You know, there, there's so many great things in that story, um, but uh, l- let's start with one. When you think about the the work it takes to conquer yourself, what, you know, when people are shooting at you and the the lizard brain in us is saying threat, 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 right? Um, the kind of conditioning it takes to keep, you know, your cognitive system online and think is the wisest thing to do right now, return fire or not. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about the preparation that it takes to get to that kind of a state? Oh man, you're, you're talking a a longer discovery. Uh, so I I can give you some rules of thumb that are transferable to human beings. Yeah. Yeah, One principle is to overcome the lizard brain. It probably takes 10,000 iterations of practice. So the lizard brain is the, the, you know, the flight or fight and, or, or you get locked up and you can't deal with it. It takes 10,000 times of doing that same thing until you can process it in, in real time. And until you get it in real time, it, it, it's very overwhelming. And, uh, and combat is extremely overwhelming. And the only, I, I know that the only reason why SEALs do it rather well is the amount of practice that they've put into it. And you only practice things so that you can process things in real time. In the moment that things really go south, you're just processing the reality of the situation. Yeah. Instead of what could happen, oh my God, what did I do wrong? All that stuff is not in real time. Loss and failure is not a real time occurrence. There's just what you have to do immediately right now. And those things are always simple, but you have to have the time put in, invested, and the invested time spent dealing with critical problems in training. And so and, yeah. in, in this scenario, because you were able to keep your wits about you, uh, what, what was going through your head? RPGs are landing. Obviously, that's an unpredictable ordinance, right? Mm-hmm. For, for, you know, can be fearful, <laughs> fear producing for folks. And by the way, for everybody who's listening, how, how many, for people who don't know, how many folks are in a platoon? Give them a sense of, of, of how the nine of you are normally set up. Well, in, I had 22 in my platoon, but in my position at that point, there were nine. Myself, uh, my lieutenant, and some other guys. And uh, each of the guys has a specialty, like sniper or breacher or yep. you know heavy weapons or whatever. And uh, so in the position that we're in, inside of a building, there were nine of us. And so at the point you're taking fire... What what's going through your head that helped you decide not to not return fire? Well, initially, I had already been out of the bubble of the I call the bubble of real time. So I had dropped my bubble, so to speak, and I'd you know taken a wrap off, as the team guys say. And I went in the 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 RPGs and the tracers hit. I wasn't processing things in real time. I was in the oh shit factor. 
And uh, so I jumped into a window, an RPG kind of follows me in, blows up, blows me to the back of the room, and I'm laying on the ground. And at that moment, I wasn't dealing with reality. I was rather dysfunctional because I was like, oh, sh- I, you know, all I remember was saying was the F word. Mm-hmm. And because, and, you know, when somebody says the F word, they're not processing things. It's, it's just overwhelming. They're dealing with a million things. And I kept saying to myself, I'm dead. I'm dead. And my body was trying to agree with that comment. And then I, oddly, my, I had a, a vision or a dream during that period of time. My wife grabs my face and says, hey, Tom, you know, keep fighting until there's nothing left. And at that point in time, I sat up. And I'm like, wow, okay, I can do this. And I went and got my body armor and got my rifle and started processing the simple things that I knew how to do, like shoot and move and survive. But for a small amount of time, I was dealing with a million factors and I couldn't deal with it. And how it sounds in people's head is the F word and, oh, God, now what? So when I hear myself saying that now, I usually take a step back and go, I need to do one thing right now that I can do, that I can accomplish, even today. I don't know if that's helpful, but that's how I process it. Well, back to your thing of you can do anything for two minutes. Mm -hmm. You know, um, what a sense of control in a place of feeling out of control, right? To say, this is the one thing I'm going to do now seems like a great tool to taking, you know, yeah, and your it, situation and no, I don't know if you can ever space. take full control. I, I think that may be a misnomer, Sure. but in teaching clients, they have a hard time because they're okay. Yeah, I get that. But uh, what about these other things? It doesn't matter. You got to do this one. And I have a lot of friends. I have a lot of friends in the in the private equity space, and I think they are become really good at doing, seeing th- breaking things down to the simple factor rather quickly. Yeah. All the emotion goes out of it. What is the you know, what's the EBITDA? Let's look that first. Let's not look at all the other factors. What? How much are you bleeding or all that? And I, I say that because. In every space, you can bleed things down to simple two-minute intervals. What can I do now? And uh, I, I, yeah, I clients have question. a diff- clients have a difficult problem with that. I, I, in fact, I think that's a great place to to end this part of the episode. But it is with that question: uh, What can I do now mm-hmm. for that two-minute interval? Uh, I totally plan on plagiarizing you, Tom. I hope I hope that's okay. Yeah, please. Please, whatever works. (laughs) That's great. Well, listen, everybody, please tune back in. We're going to get more of uh, Tom's wisdom. And thanks for listening so far. Well, that's it for the episode. One other thing I wanted to tell you about. If you remember the guys from Convoy uh, in episodes back, Ken Free and Trent Mano, I went on one of their CEO trips to New York and I met a guy named Brent Thompson, very successful entrepreneur. He was former CEO of Jive Communications, big uh, company now, I think three or four hundred million dollars. Anyways, he uh, he started a new company called BlipBillboards.com. I'm super stoked they're a sponsor now. But I, I remember 
a year and some ago when I met him, I thought it was genius. Instead of having to buy six months or a year's worth of billboard uh, for thousands of dollars, you can buy eight seconds at a time for like 10 or 20 cents. You pick what billboard you want it on, what time of day you want it to run, and it just puts so much power in the hands of, of marketers and CEOs who want to try something and see if it works. You can buy as many or as few as you want, change it as many times as you want. Uh, I think now our podcast is being advertised on billboards in like 18 different states because we have these guys as sponsors. We're pretty excited about it. Hope you check out blipbillboards.com. Thanks. Now's the time to find your color, your paint, and everything to get started during red, white, and blue savings at the Home Depot. Transforming your room is easier than ever. With the best deals online and in-store, you can confidently select your color and the tools for your next paint project. Get a colorful new experience and the right paint for the right price. Save $10 on one gallon and $40 off three and five gallons for a limited time only at the Home Depot. More saving, more doing. Limit 25 gallons per household. See store for details.